Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. If you're wondering about the title to this episode, when I was looking for the title, I Googled the term journaling for dollars. What I was looking for was actually, there's this old saying about doing something for dollars, which at the time eluded me. And by the way, still does. I think it's digging for dollars, but I never did find out what I was looking for. Instead, a lot of Etsy shop money journals popped up with titles like money mindset journal and money affirmation journal, money abundance journal, money manifestation journal, and many more. There were pages of them but they all had similar promises. Something like, are you ready to manifest abundance and attract financial prosperity into your life? Our digital journal is designed to help you do just that through powerful affirmations and visual techniques. Now, that was not what I was looking for, but sometimes you get what you need, which was confirmation that journaling as a way to achieve not just your personal goals, but goals for your business is the way to go. So today we're going to talk about IP journals. So this episode is inspired by an amazing conversation I have with a woman who keeps an IP journal. Now, I wish I remembered exactly what she called it. She might have called it an IP journal, but that's what we're going to call it because I like that anyway. So she is extremely prolific. She writes every day for her business, for publication, for creating new ideas. And so she realized that she needed a process for cataloging all of her creations and her ideas. So what she does is that at the end of each workday, her shutdown habit is to make a record of all the work she created that day. And she puts it in her database tool of choice. I don't remember which one she uses, but this is so brilliant. But using an IP journal, you keep a running inventory and she's keeping a running inventory of her work which is consistent with her business goal. And her goal is to make sure that her business is ready to sell when she's ready to exit. Yes, that's why we had the conversation. So she is setting up her business for success in all stages of the hourly to exit journey. Now, I hope you have a copy of the hourly to exit journey self-assessment. If you don't have it, You can get one. We'll link to that in the show notes, or you can find it on the website, thinkbeyondip.com. So the hourly to exit self-assessment tracks the characteristics of your business at each of the four stages of building a business that is saleable. And if you don't know the difference between saleable and sellable, 
Also check out my website. I have lots of conversations about that there as well. So to create a saleable business, there are four steps on the way to building a business that you can sell someday. The first step is unsustainable, then sustainable, then scalable, and then finally saleable. So let's look at how IP journaling can help you move along this journey. First, unsustainable. A business is unsustainable if it is not supported with basic assets and is insufficiently funded. The telltale sign that your business is unsustainable if the only way you can make more money is to work more hours. The freelance model is almost always in this category. When you're a freelancer, 100% of the output is owned by the client. There are no assets in the business, except hopefully a bank account, which sadly some people don't even have separate bank accounts when they're freelancers. With no assets, there is nothing to journal about. When you're at the sustainable stage, a sustainable business means the business can maintain its viability by using tools and techniques that allow for continual reuse of resources. Progressing to a sustainable level requires the development of one, basic assets. This means things like templates and checklists. Two, exclusivity. Here you're starting to articulate your expertise and your niche. You're not just a generalist who does everything for everybody. Stability, that means you're taking your business seriously. You're using contracts and you have insurance. So an IP journal is the perfect starting point for building sustainability. When you're using your IP journal, you're documenting your processes for efficient, predictable delivery. You're recognizing patterns that lead to deeper expertise. You're identifying when a contract is needed for assets that you haven't created personally. And that is, by the way, anything that you haven't created personally, there should be a contract attached to that making note of anything that is owned by third parties. And another absolute is anything you get off the internet is pretty much owned by somebody else. And so you want to make note of those things as well. All these things go into your IP journal. So I love this excerpt from Blair N's wonderful book, The Winning Without Pitching Manifesto, which I encourage all of you to read. So it really illustrates the power of an IP journal in this chapter called Formalizing How We Work. And it goes like this. One can reasonably assume that over time, through trial and error, we will happen upon an efficient approach that allows us to deliver at quality and speed with consistency. In almost any of our repeated endeavors, it is the strength of our processes that drives the consistency of our outcomes. If we want to build deep expertise, we must take pains to document how we work, to define how we will work in the future, and to continuously refine and improve our approach. Working from a defined process leads to the very consistency of quality that a potential client tries to discern late in the buying cycle when our role is to reassure. Nothing reassures a client more than him drawing the powerful inference that little variability in process equals little variability in outcomes. Every one of the firms he's considering can demonstrate an ability to do great work. But the question he wants answered before he buys is, how do I know I'm going to get their best work? When we are able to demonstrate strong processes, 
the client can decide for himself the implication of our processes and the consistency of our quality. Hey everyone, a quick word from our sponsor, Think Beyond IP. Think Beyond IP helps your professional services firm build the essential legal and strategic foundation required to confidently scale your business by developing, protecting, and leveraging intellectual property assets. You can find us at thinkbeyondip.com. Now, back to the show. So in sum, when we are using IP journals to help us create our systems and our processes to create a more consistent outcome, to build deeper expertise. These are the things that help reduce risk in the eye of the buyer. And we are small business solopreneurs or smallpreneurs. Reducing risk is an essential part of making that sale. And so that helps us create that sustainable business by using our IP journals to help us document how we work. The next level is scalable. A scalable business means the business is a stable, profitable business that is providing predictable results for its clients. The key to scale is figuring out how to decouple your income from your time. In other words, we find leverage opportunities where the output is greater than your input. And we know that that's what a lever is. A lever magnifies our effort. So we give effort of X and we get a force of two times X. And so we add leverage to our businesses through a number of ways. One, through building a team. That does not have to mean employees. That can also mean independent contractors. A lot of us start building a team by using virtual assistants. And so we can focus on product development and client relations and delivery. Another key place where a lot of people will add to their team is a bookkeeper as well. Number two, exclusivity. We aren't just articulating our expertise. We are becoming the recognized expert. We are consistently publishing. And so it's not just our clients that appreciate our expertise, but we're getting recognized within our niche as an expert. And number three, stability. And we do that by using repeatable, trainable processes for our services delivery and our operations. So I have a handout called, Is There a Rembrandt in Your Attic? You can get that on my website, where I talk about a few leverage strategies that really make sense in our expertise-based businesses. And there are, I see seven of them here. First, delegation. So here you use employees who are less expensive than you because you are the most expensive asset in your business to deliver services. So there may be some part of maybe onboarding or maybe you're creating some sort of graphic deliverables or things like that, that you can use a less expensive employee to help you deliver the service. Automation, here using technology to aid delivery. A lot of people use automation as part of the onboarding process to make sure clients get their agreements and they have a way to pay and that they do whatever questionnaires that need to be filled out. So automation, productization, customized services, very valuable, but there is a place for that productized service 
that can be sold and delivered very efficiently. Licensing, you know, I love to talk about licensing. Here, you create an IP asset that can then be licensed to multiple parties. So you put in that effort at the front end to create the asset. And then the lever of licensing is that it can then be exploited by multiple parties. Teaching and or certification. Here, you're teaching other professionals to use your methodology to create outcomes for their clients. Outsourcing. And I distinguish this from delegation. I look at delegation as using employees, so that's internal, versus outsourcing, which is using outside sources, such as subcontractors to deliver part of your service. And subscriptions, oh, there's actually eight. Subscriptions, which are selling subscriptions to your asset. Maybe you have a database. Maybe you have some research that you've developed and that it would be of value to other people and that you can sell subscriptions to that asset. And then the last one I have is selling access to your community. So if you have a very robust community, especially one that would be valuable for a third party to have access to, you can sell access to it. I mean, the most popular way people do that is through ads, but you don't want to sell ads to your community. But things like providing access to market researchers could be of value as well. So that brings us to the final leg of the hourly to exit journey becoming saleable. So to be saleable, your business needs one revenue visibility. And so here, before we're talking about your clients, now we're talking about your buyer. When we're talking about sales, we're talking about sellers and buyers. So for your buyer to be interested in your business, they need revenue visibility. They need to be able to see that your financial projections make sense. You can say, like, I think it's going to earn $1 million, $2 million, $3 million in the future. Or it's going to grow. This is the curve it's going to grow in. But revenue visibility means that there's something that supports that projection and that they can feel comfortable with it. Exclusivity is the second one, which intellectual property development. Intellectual property is a legal monopoly. It doesn't get any more exclusive than a monopoly. So the only way anyone else can use your intellectual property is with your permission. And the other way you can get exclusivity is having an authority level positioning. That means you are at the top of the hill regarding whatever your niche or your specialization is, that you are at the top of that heap and therefore you have that exclusive positioning. And then third, the ability to withstand due diligence. So can you support your revenue visibility or I should say your projections? Can you support your positioning and your intellectual property status? And so while the IP journal is important through all of the stages of your development, from sustainability to scalability to saleability, it is particularly important in this due diligence stage. So for our purposes, due diligence means an investigation or audit of an acquisition target, which is undertaken by the prospective buyer. And the objective is to confirm the accuracy of the seller's information and appraise its value. So remember that a buyer is purchasing the future of your business. So it needs to be confident that your business will continue to flourish in its hands. So it doesn't want to buy you and suddenly all the employees jump ship and all the customers jump ship. It needs to know that it's the future of your business is solid. And that's what they're looking for in that due diligence process. So they're confirming that the financial projections 
are supported by the assets and the other structures in the business. We're going to talk about seven areas that are typically audited during the due diligence process. Financial due diligence, which of course investigates the accuracy of the financial records. Human resources due diligence. This focuses on understanding the organizational structure, the compensation and benefits, and any possible violations. You know, of particular importance these days is making sure that you're not treating employees like contractors. So if they really should be appropriately categorized as employees, then we have a problem if you're paying them like contractors or treating them like contractors. Operational due diligence, which evaluates technology, assets, facilities, assuming those things are important in your business. Business due diligence, which seems broad, but it's really about the industry that you're in and your customers. So they can look at any risks associated with the industry. What's happening in the industry? Is it a dying industry? And looking at your customers. Also, are you serving a customer base that's a dying customer base? So they're going to look at any of those risks there. Strategy fit due diligence. So will it fit in what they hope to achieve? What are their goals and objectives? And how does your business fit into achieving them? What are the potential synergies? How will they merge together? What does that look like? And legal due diligence, which is what most people think of, I think. And so that is to make sure that you are legally compliant and they want to discover any potential legal issues. Nobody wants to buy a lawsuit. So in a world where IP is currency and the most valuable asset in your business is intellectual property, it should be of no surprise that IP will be a factor in every one of those six due diligence areas. So your IP audit identifies what IP you own and what you use. It determines your usefulness or its importance to your business. Is your IP enforceable? Does it conflict with any third-party rights? And then these things will all funnel down into an IP valuation. Now, I want to clarify that an IP audit is not just a legal due diligence issue. It's not just about contracts and whether or not your copyrights are registered or even your trademarks are registered. It is a holistic evaluation of your company. Is there a culture of protecting and maximizing the value of intellectual property? So another benefit of your IP journal, it gives you a greater understanding of the assets in your business. And it, even the relative value of those assets, assuming they're all IP assets, there will be relative value of them. So you can make sure that you are appropriately allocating resources to them. You want to allocate more resources to protecting maybe a database or a client list than you do to protecting your trademark, which at the end of the day, you know, unless you're FedEx or Coca-Cola, there's always going to be another trademark. I hate to say that, but there is. But the things that you've developed specifically that are providing value to your clients, those are the most valuable assets in your business. So buyers are looking at your business from a top-down approach, how you're protecting those assets, what kind of corporate policies you have, how are you training your employees about using technology, not using unlicensed software. How are you handling copyrighted materials? Are you using contracts? What is your social media usage? Things like reputation is a very valuable intangible asset. And of course, you don't want to do things 
that can lead to data breaches. That's why all these things are so important. So it may sound a little bit complicated, but it can start simply with an IP journal. And like a balanced checkbook, IP due diligence is easiest to do if you do it while it's happening. So it's like putting in your $25 into your investment account and the interest grows and it grows over the years. So doing your IP due diligence, creating your IP journal every day, you are developing that asset that will grow with your business and will help you grow your business since you are going to increasingly rely on intellectual property. All those leverage strategies we talked about earlier, including delegation and outsourcing, licensing, certification, all of those, those require IP. It's very hard to delegate when you have no processes. It's very hard to outsource if you're not appropriately using contracts, which will control the ownership of your intellectual property. All these things, when you're growing your business, you need to have that solid IP foundation in order to have a growth strategy that is based on IP. And where you're an expert, your growth will be based on intellectual property. And so I like to use the analogy of a house. And so growing your business is like adding another floor to your house. So the foundation that was good enough for your first floor may not be strong enough to hold your second floor. So even if you haven't been using an IP journal to date, which perhaps is the first time you ever heard of an IP journal, you haven't, it's okay. Because we start today to make sure that as we're building our businesses, that we're growing our foundation along with it. So if you are teaching others to do what you do, or you're creating some sort of DIY product for your clients, what happens when you find out that someone took your class and now they're selling your materials for their own profit? Or worse, someone has a lawyer and they send you a cease and desist, claiming that your IP is actually theirs, demanding an accounting and a share in your income, and preventing you from doing any other work with it until the matter is sorted out. These things happen all the time. Unfortunately, there are very few original ideas, and everyone thinks their idea is original, and then they see somebody else doing it. I, don't, I can't even account the number of times people think, oh, that was my idea. So you want to make sure you can protect yourself by whipping out your IP journal to demonstrate its origin. Now, do not discount the value of registration. Registration is important, but most of us are not registering all the IP we create. We're creating IP all day, every day. You've heard me say it a million times. IP is everywhere. So that IP journal provides the backup for the material that we don't register. The goal of your IP journaling practice is actually pretty simple. It's to document all asset creation, who, when, what, and how. Every day, catalog the new content you create, tracking when it was created, who created it, what source materials, if any, were used. If you didn't create it, review the applicable contracts to make sure that you own or control the rights that you need to use the deliverables in all of the manners you can foresee, you know, and even some manners that you can't foresee. You don't want to incorporate some third-party materials in your book that then limits you from, you know, it's going to expire someday, or you want to use it in some sort of training materials and you can't use it in that. So you want to make sure that if you're using third-party materials that your rights to use them are sufficiently broad. 
There are terms in contracts and in licenses, non-exclusive license, work made for hire. They're kind of scary, but they're not rocket science. I like to say the law is not rocket science. Let's be happy for that. And it's key to understanding these rights to make sure you understand that you have what you need to grow your business. And so whenever you're incorporating source materials that are owned by a third party, read the fine print. Because I will tell you that virtually every license agreement will have some restrictions in it that you need to comply with. So the challenge here is to maintain records of your ownership and other rights to use IP that flows through your company so that you can protect yourself as you scale your business and prepare it for an eventual sale. So I hope this episode has you thinking about something that you can do today to help prepare your business to scale. Hint, IP journal. And as we move through 2023, I will be raising additional topics for your consideration. But don't forget, always consult with an attorney about your specific situation. So if you think you have reached a point in your hourly to exit journey where you want to grow your business with IP, you can contact me to find out more. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe and I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.